22 years ago, this spring, I sat down for the very first time and read the entire Gospel of Luke. It's really not that impressive. It was part of an assignment. It was part of our uh, confirmation process. We had to sit down and read every word from the Gospel of Luke, from chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel shows up in Mary's bedroom and says, by the way, you're going to have a baby, all the way to chapter 24, where Christ ascends into heaven. Every single word. The good thing was, I didn't have to do it alone. I had a partner. We had confirmation mentors. I wasn't real thrilled with my confirmation mentor. At least I thought. One of my best friends at the time got, like, the creme, de, the, creme the, the guy who literally wrote the book on the history of our congregation. That's the guy I wanted for my confirmation mentor. I didn't get him. Dan got him. <laughs> but what I came to find out is that I got a really good gift in a guy named Dale. Dale was a retired army officer who had turned into a lawyer. So every Tuesday afternoon, my mom would drive me to Dale's law office there in Sepulpa. He would sit at his desk, kick his cowboy boots up onto the desk, crack open the Bible. I would sit on his leather tufted couch, you know the kind that all the lawyers have. I'd kick my school loafers onto his couch and I would crack open my Bible and we would read the story of Luke together. One of our jobs was to fill out a worksheet at the end of each reading. Dale and I never did those worksheets because we got too caught up in asking each other questions and becoming sucked into the Gospel of Matthew. I didn't know it back then, but there in that law office with Dale was the starting point for a deep love for Luke's Gospel. If you had asked me back in 2000, I don't know that I could tell you why I loved it. But now I think it's the fact that Luke gives us the most extensive, the most expansive look into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke alone gives us a glimpse into Christ's maturing. We get his infancy, his early days. We get looks into the preteen ages of Jesus and often to his adulthood. Luke gives us the reason into why Jesus is the way he is and why he chooses to do the things that he will choose to do. And I think it starts right here in Luke's second chapter. We're going to read that today. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Let's listen now for a word from God. When the time came for their ritual cleansing in accordance with the law of Moses... They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. There they offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. There, Simeon took Jesus into his arms 
And he praised God and he said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all people. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. Jesus' father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your innermost being too. Now there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, but rather she worshipped God with fasting and with prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth in Galilee. And the child grew up, he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The truth of the matter is that the road from Bethlehem to Jerusalem really isn't that long. It's only about five miles, a five-mile walk. But you know, having just traveled from Nazareth the week before and giving birth in a barn and now caring for an eight-day-old baby, those five miles probably felt like an actual eternity for these young, bewildered newlyweds we call Mary and Joseph. As they were getting ready, there were probably questions of, had a pack for their first road trip as a family, even though it was just five miles down the road. There were calculations into how many diapers would be needed for the day trip to the temple. There were thoughts about where they might stop along the way, questions into whether they should try and bring the sacrificial pigeons with them, or if it would just be easier to buy them there and pay the hefty convenience fee. But even more basic than that, How would they get there? How would they get their eight-day-old baby from point A to point B safely, but probably more importantly, soundly asleep? My assumption here, and it's an assumption, is that this not-so-insignificant task was probably left up to Mary to figure out. Now, whether she mounted a donkey for a second trip or journeyed the road on foot, my assumption is that Mary was the one tasked with carrying and caring for the sweet baby Jesus and Savior of the world as they made this trip to Jerusalem. So it must have come as a small relief then. When the prophet Simeon sees them climbing those marble steps to the temple and welcomes in these young, bewildered, nerved-on-edge parents into the coolness of the temple. 
relief again when Simeon stretches out his arms and asks if he can hold the baby Jesus so Mary can rest her arms for just a moment. Relief. As Mary and Joseph listen in as the prophet whispered those words of blessing over their child, realizing the importance of their son, relief again in knowing that they were not alone in this. They were words spoken with such deep conviction that they were immediately ingrained into the hearts of these parents. In their travels from Jerusalem back to Nazareth, in their daily ins and outs of raising this child, Simeon's words would have clung close, serving as a constant reminder of the blessing, of of the grace, of the love that they and all people would find in their baby. But not everyone views Simeon in the same light. The late Presbyterian pastor and poet David Steele actually remembers a preacher offering him a different take on Simeon. The preacher told of how Simeon was probably a bit of a curmudgeon. Simeon was an old man traipsing back and forth from his home to the temple week and week out, blessing any baby that he could get his hands on, hedging his bets by proclaiming that same blessing on every single child that walked in the door. The preacher, Steele says, meant it to be a humorous caricature of the prophet. But he saw it differently. Steele wrote, You know, when I read the blessing, and I think about it, I begin to wish he was right about Simeon and those babies, and I begin thinking about our babies. And I wish someone, some Simeon, might hold our grandbabies high and and your babies, the born ones and the not yet, proclaiming to them with great conviction, you are the saviors of the world. And meaning it just so absolutely that those youngins, they would live it and they would love it and they would make it happen. If you want to know why Jesus is the way he is, if you want to know why he does the things that he will do, then I think you have to start right here in the temple. With less than 200 hours of life under his belt, Jesus is lifted up high in front of an entire congregation and told with great conviction, you are the savior of the world. You have a purpose, and you matter. But the problem is that almost none of us remember our first 200 hours of life, do we? Do you? I didn't think so. I thought there might be one, but I was hedging my bets. Even Jesus, being fully God and fully human, probably didn't remember those first 200 hours of life either. But I bet his parents did. I bet his family remembered. I bet that congregation they were in front of, the community that surrounded him, remembered those words from 
old curmudgeon Simeon and I, Simeon, and I bet that he re- they, all of them, Simeon and the rest, they all recited those words back to Jesus with great conviction every chance they got. If you're wanting to know why in the world Jesus would leave home and recruit a bunch of ragtag fishermen and call them disciples and tell stories about the kingdom of God and why Jesus would eat with sinners and welcome strangers and call people to do better and to love deeper and offer himself up on a cross. And I think it all starts right here with these words of affirmation. You are the savior of the world. You have a purpose. And you matter. It's strange, really, these words. The more you think about it, the more you might come to realize that we don't hear these kinds of affirming and accepting words often, do we? They're so rare that when we do finally hear some kind of affirmation, some word of acceptance, we approach it with great hesitation because of just how strange they are to us. So foreign, in fact, that they can even be met with hostility. Seth was born in a tiny West Texas town. Graduated from a tiny West Texas high school. He went to a tiny West Texas college. But Seth grew up with bigger dreams than just that. So as soon as he had moved his tassel from the left to the right, he picked up everything he owned, shoved it in his car, and he moved to live out his New York City dreams. Once there in New York City, he he found a good job with a large media company. He immediately made friends. And one afternoon on their lunch break, he and some friends, as a joke, they went out onto the busy New York City street corner and they They held up a cardboard sign as people walked by. And the sign said, Stop replying all to company-wide emails. The sign got a lot of laughs. People stopped and gave him a high five. Others stopped to take pictures. So Seth thought, let's keep this fun going. So new signs were made. That meeting could have been an email, he wrote. You don't have to clap when the plane lands. And again, people stopped. And they laughed and they offered their high fives and they snapped their pictures. But when the pandemic hit, Seth decided to change the tone a little bit. He would stand on the street corner of his neighborhood with helpful reminders for passers-by. Your mask goes over your nose, too, smiley face. Thank you, healthcare workers. We're in this together, his signs read. But not all his signs were warmly welcomed. With black Sharpie, he scribbled onto a new sheet of cardboard. Vaccinated or not, you are loved. 
This time, instead of stopping to laugh, people stopped to yell at him, saying that he was encouraging people to get sick. Instead of offering that high five, strangers stopped to offer him a middle finger. And rather than taking a picture, a few tried to take the sign itself, intent on tearing it apart. Vaccinated or not, you are loved. We're not really accustomed to hearing the good news about ourselves or the good news about others either. I think that's why the church becomes an even more essential voice in our world today. A place and a people that can come together in order to constantly lift one another up and say to each other with great conviction, you have a purpose and you matter. Coming together and saying it with such frequency that it no longer becomes foreign to us, but instead becomes ingrained into our hearts, ingrained into who we are, saying it with such frequency so that on the days when we will forget, there are people, there is a community surrounding us who will remember and recite those words back to us every chance they get, meaning it so absolutely that we would live it and we would love it and we would make it happen. Jesus leaves the safety of Galilee and the comfort of his own home in order to bring that blessing he first received from Simeon to the entire world. And as we journey this together, I think Christ calls us to leave home to do the same. Saying it with such deep conviction that we would love it and we would live it and we would make it happen. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Spirit. Amen.